company. This is your places call, places please, for the top of the show. This is your places call, places, places. Welcome to Waiting for Places. I'm so glad you're here with us. Uh, (laughs) uh, This is Jackie Singleton coming in from the sunny Sarasota, Florida. I have to say I'm looking at the sun and you must be on your balcony outside. I am. I'm on my lanai. That's a, that's a, uh, what we would call a covered porch in Wisconsin, but here they call it a lanai. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe you'll get to this, but if you tell me your life story, how, where did you grow up? How did mm-hmm. you cho- choose stage mm-hmm. management? And how, what led you to this moment where you are on your lanai in Florida? <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so I grew up in Maryland, uh, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. I uh, did lots of things in high school, uh, which led me to believe that I might be something like a lawyer when I got out of high school or after college or whatever. So I was sort of on that path to becoming I don't know, a lawyer, a politician, a, you know, something that people in DC do, you know, <laughs> lots of them uh, until I, and we had always gone to the theater, my mom and I, and my stepdad, um, uh, you know, since I was, a, since I was a kid, you know, my mom had season tickets everywhere and we went to lots of, and I loved going to the theater and we sang musicals at home and all of the things, right? Um, but I had never really seriously considered theater as a career until I went on a show in high school. Uh, I went to an all-girls high school, so I was working on a show at the corresponding all-boys high school um, because they always uh, struggled to find enough boys to do the theater. It was mostly a sports-oriented kind of school. Um, so I, uh, I was doing, I was working on crew for a show, and uh, the technical director, whose name was Pierre Poisson, Mr. Poisson said to me, um, you know, uh, do you want to stage manage the show? And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, well, you go to rehearsal and you take notes. And then when it comes time you uh, for the performance, you like tell other people what to do. And I was like, sure, that sounds great. I'm bossy. Um, and so I did that. And, uh, and after the first show that I did, he said, you're really good at this. You might want to consider doing this like as a career. And I was like, that's a career? What? That sounds amazing. Sure. Um, so I started to like sort of read up about it and read up like what a stage manager does. And I read the Lawrence Stern book because that was the, you know, the text at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I then decided that I wanted to do theater in college. Um, And so I applied to a bunch of theater schools, theater colleges, um, and I got rejected by almost all of them because I had not started my high school theater career sort of early enough. Um, I only had about three years of experience or really like a year and a half of experience when I started applying. Um, So, but I was accepted at Northwestern and uh, I read in the US News and World Report that Northwestern was one of the best undergraduate theater schools in the country. And so I said, yes, I'm gonna go there. Uh, And we came out and visited and I fell in love with the the physical plant is amazing, as you know. Um, And uh, I decided that that's where I was gonna go to school. Um, And so I did lots and lots of theater when I was at Northwestern. I stage managed, I produced, I did pretty much everything except costumes, except I did have to sew petticoats for Virgil Johnson because that's like a requirement there. Um, and, uh, and by the time I got out of four years of school, I was like, yes, no, this is really what I wanna do. I'm, I'm convinced. Uh, and then I went about my career pretty much in exactly the way that I advise almost nobody to do it these days. Uh, which was that I just responded to some ads in the performing and I was like, I want to be a stage manager, hire me. So I did a lot of stage managing right from the beginning for very, very small Chicago storefront type theaters that, you know, back in that day paid like, you know, a hundred dollars, not a week, a hundred dollars, like total. (laughs) Um, And I had my day jobs and, uh, you know, I temped and I waited tables and, you know, all of the things. And I did that for a long time. Uh, 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 So I was 21 when I graduated college and I finally got my equity card when I was 29. 
So I did eight years of that in Chicago theater and I got to know a lot of great people and you end up working for the same companies over and over again because you're, they like you and you know, you have your next job all lined up. And so um, I got to do some, I, you know, I got to do some great shows and I met lots of people and I got to do a little tour and I got to do a little um, internship and I did some things outside of that, but that's mostly what I did is I stage managed for Chicago storefronts um, and smaller like tier N, uh, cat N uh, theaters. So theaters that would hire one equity person. So usually an actor, almost always an actor. Uh, and then the stage manager could be an EMC candidate. So I piled up lots and lots of EMC weeks, probably more than you know I really should have. <laughs> but eventually what happened was that a show that I had done at the next theater in Evanston um, was picked up by the Goodman for a remount. Um, so I went to the Goodman with this show and I was still non-equity at the time. And uh, the Goodman decided that they, because we only had about 10 days to remount the show, although they already had a stage management team in place to do that show, they hired me as well. So, because I was familiar with the show and I was, I was going with, you know, eight of the original actors, the original director. Um, and so that's how I got my card. And I was like, this is great. Now I can start to make some money doing this. Uh, <laughs> and I had saved up enough from the day jobs at that point to say, okay, here's what you're gonna do for a year. You're not gonna do any job that isn't theater for a year. It can be anything in the theater, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna wait tables. You're not gonna temp. You're not gonna do any of that. You're just gonna do theater. So I ended up working the front desk at theaters and I ended up uh, monitoring auditions for equity and I ended up you know doing smaller equity gigs and at the end right about the time that that year was about to elapse I saw an ad in the playbill playbill.com for American Players Theater was hiring an equity stage manager and I was like hey I'm an equity stage manager I don't know anything about that theater but I've heard good stuff so I'm going to apply there uh, so I applied. I, you know, at this point was living in Chicago. I didn't own a car. I had never worked outside of the city, uh, except for a small tour that I had gone on in like 94, 95. Um, so I got, I interviewed on the phone with Evelyn Matten, the production stage manager. And uh, she said, can you come up to Milwaukee and do a in-person interview with me? Cause she was currently working at Milwaukee Rep. And I said, of course. And I, rented a car <laughs> and I drove to Milwaukee and uh, interviewed with Evelyn. And uh, at the same time, I had gotten the offer to do um, Oak Park um, uh, Shakespeare Theater for that, for that uh, summer. So I called her back and I said, I have another offer in Chicago. You know, can, I, I need you to make a decision. And she said, great, you're hired. This was about five weeks before the season started in Spring Green. So I bought a car <laughs> and I, you know, drove up to Wisconsin and drove up to Spring Green, Wisconsin for the very first time to start my, I believe I closed a show at the next that night or that Sunday, I drove to Wisconsin in order to start prep uh, the next day. Uh, so I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I'll be totally frank about that because I hadn't, um, you know, I hadn't come up in the, the LORT sort of system. So I didn't really realize like what regional, like uh, the amount of people that are involved at the regional theater system, right? So like I was used to being the storefront Chicago Shakespeare or Chicago person. Um, so I, uh, you know, I did everything. I, I did the props, I did the laundry, I did the, you know, I had no idea about like wardrobe or department heads or what, you know, what it really takes to really, really do theater. Um, and I, you know, I'd had the Goodman experience, but that was about the extent of my experience in a large regional theater. I had interned down at the court, but that had been some time before as well. Um, so I sort of learned on the job and I'm, super grateful that Evelyn gave me that opportunity um, 20 years ago and I have been at APT ever since. Uh, this will be my 20th season there. It'll be Evelyn's 30th season there um, and I now live in Spring Green about five years in. I decided to 
turn in my one bedroom, one bath condo in Rogers Park for a three bedroom, two bath house in Spring Green. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's sort of that's sort of the short story. Uh, how I got here to the Oslo, um, I uh, did. Uh, I had worked at Madison Rep for many years before they went under. Um, I then worked at Ford Theater in Madison uh, in the winters uh, for the first couple of years. And then I got an amazing opportunity. Um, Jim Bonin, James Bonin, who used to run Remy Bumpo Theater in Chicago, uh, who's a director at APT, he uh, started a bookstore in uh, Spring Green called Arcadia Books. Look it up when you come to Spring Green, it's awesome. Uh, and uh, he uh, was told by everyone that he had to have food at the bookstore. And I had done some catering uh, and some personal chef work up until that point. And so Jim called me and he said, you know, will you, will you do the food for the bookstore? And I was like, sure. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. And I thought it was going to be like, you know, make some coffee and cookies and like maybe push out a lasagna every once in a while. And it turned into operating basically a, not a full service restaurant, but definitely like a busy cafe. Um, for five years. So I did that in addition to stage managing in the summers, which was crazy. And I did not sleep a lot. <laughs> um, and at about the end of five years, I went back to James and I was like, I, I, this, I'm done. I like, I can't do, this is a lot. So now they have another person there who does that. It's her full-time job. It's her full-time passion. It's awesome. Uh, and when I went back out on the, on the road, so to speak, for the winters, I, uh, you know, worked a couple different places and I really wanted to work somewhere in the South for the winter. Um, so I worked at uh, the Clarence Brown uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee for a season. I did a, um, a stint at Milwaukee Rep where I also went to Baltimore Center Stage with a show. We did about 85 performances of Animal Farm between those two. And then uh, about three years ago, I, some of my friends had worked down here at the Oslo. And I uh, got an interview with our with the PSM at the time, uh, and I was like, "Rotating rep, you do rotating rep. I do rotating rep. You do classic plays. I do classic plays. You work in Florida in the winter. I want to work in Florida in the winter." Um, so I uh, I did that for a while, and then I uh, uh, the very next year, um, you know, she. Uh, there, a job became available actually because the PSM had decided to go on to another uh, another pathway in her life, and so a job became available, and they the new PSM called me and hired me, and I was like, great, yes, absolutely. So this is my second season down here, and uh, I'm hopeful that there'll be you know more after this. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's ah, uh, that's so great. One follow-up question. You started, you prefaced this by saying that you would not advise anyone <laughs> to follow the path of your career. That's right. What would you advise them to do instead? Because as you're describing it, I'm like, that that's basically what I did. You just work. <laughs> right. You just, you just work, work and then work some more. Yeah, totally. I think that it goes quicker if you have the resources, which not everybody does, but if you have the resources to be able to take an internship at a big Lord theater, they like you, they hire you to be their floor manager or backstage manager, they hire you to be an ass, you know, it just, it seems like an easier progression um, into if this is what you want to do regional, you know, if you want to do Lord theater, if you want to do regional theater, that, that it seems like an easier progression to start as an intern in a place and then just work your way up the ladder there. Um, but it, it, you know, it all works out, right? <laughs> Eventually. So, and and not everybody has the resources, and I, you know, we'll get to it later, I'm sure. But I think it's a, I think it's an issue, a big issue in our in our field is that if you don't have the financial or family resources to be able to do that, then what do you do? If you have to make money right out of college, what do you do? So, mm -hmm. and. I mean, I agree with that 100%. Um, and I'm also wondering if young stage managers intern at Alort and then just stay in the Lort theater world in that larger theater, regional theater world, I almost feel like you miss out 
on the storefront world. I feel like I learned a lot of skills in that storefront world because I had to be so self-reliant. I didn't want to be, (laughs) right? Right. (laughs) Um, But I do feel like there are valuable lessons to in in learning how to do theater without all of the resources and staff of absolutely it i i think it really it sharpens your problem solving skills right because you're the one that has to solve the problem it's up to you um uh and that's not the way it should be but it is the way it is and does it make you a better problem solver I think it does, you know, it, it, again, sort of a sticky uh, question, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. It's that art is, is learning the skills in that environment worth the stress of being in that environment. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you kind of, once you got to the Chicagoland area, you were like, I'm never leaving the Mississippi or Lake That's Michigan, right. really. You were like, That's I'm right. here. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, you know, I grew up in Maryland, as I said, in the suburbs of Maryland, and one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. Um, and there was just sort of a, no offense to anybody who lives in Maryland or Montgomery County, I love you guys. But um, there's sort of this culture of like, stuff there, you know, it's like all about the stuff you have, and the more stuff you can buy. And, uh, you know, there's strip malls everywhere. And it's very, um, I don't know, it just wasn't for me. Like it didn't feel, it didn't feel like the right fit, you know? And then I came to Chicago and I came to the Midwest and I was like, oh, this, these are my people. Like this feels more right for me as a person, as like a person that doesn't, I I like to live within my means, like well within my means. And I don't like to, I don't have a fancy car and I don't have a, I don't know, a big house with stuff in it. <laughs> I mean, you did I mean? just describe a three bedroom and I was like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well. No, no, I know. I know. I have a partner, you know, I mean, the, the third bedroom is like a little, a little gym, you know, just to stay healthy. <laughs> and I also find it interesting that you started in the big city and then went, you know, was your choice to move to spring green completely practical and that like you're spending six months out of the year in Wisconsin anyway? It pretty much was. Yeah. I mean, I love the city and I love living in the city, but I, um, uh, you know, you just, it, it was sort of a bang for the buck kind of thing. You know, I mean, I, I, I will say that my mortgage is like unshockingly un- low in Spring Green. I'm, I, I pay about $500 a month for my mortgage, right? Um, uh, and eventually I will own my house. <laughs> um, uh, and it was, and it was honestly about, um, you know, a lot of the work in Chicago that is not Fort work is, you know, the cat work that is, typically, I, I think, is still very underpaid for what, for the amount of hours that are expected, for the amount, for the caliber of work that is done for those kinds of, even if you're on a union contract. So I, I a cat three at the time, you know, I was hired on a cat three in Chicago. And I was like, I can't afford to live on a cat three, you know, I mean, this is like, I'm working, you know, basically 40 hours a week, and I was making like, 300 something dollars. And I was like this, I can't pay my rent, you know? (laughs) Um, So I I think it's an issue in terms of, you know, there's a lot of um, talk now about like the, uh, you know, how much you need to, a living wage in cities specifically, and about how the the, even the gains that we've made recently, equities made recently in the LORC contract still don't really match up to that. Like how much is really a living wage in certain, in certain places in the country. It is a living wage in Spring Green, Wisconsin, for absolute sure, you know, but I don't think it, like, again, big, big, big questions, right? But that's one of the big questions for me is like, should it be more if you're living in Chicago, if you're living in New York City, if you're living in San Francisco, you should be making more because it's more expensive to live in those places. And probably, you know, the theaters are charging more for tickets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Will you talk more about how American Players Theater works? You said it was outdoor rep. It's a very long season. You're up there for six months. How? Yep. 
because I think you might be the first stage manager I talked to about repertory. Yeah. So like, just how does this theater function? It's definitely the place to be in the summer. People come from <laughs> Milwaukee and Madison and Chicago. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's, we have an outdoor theater, outdoor amphitheater that seats uh, just about a thousand people. And then we also have an indoor theater that seats about 200. Um, and we do rotating repertory, like actual true for real rotating repertory, which almost nobody does in the country anymore because it's it's awfully expensive. Um, <laughs> so we have a we have a company. I'm talking a normal year, a non-pandemic year, right? So, um, but we have a company of 13 actors um, who the core company that. Um, make a long-term commitment to the theater. And so they're sort of the core of the acting company. And then they hire maybe 30 other actors-ish in a season. So we have a we have an acting company of about 40 to 50, I would say. And we do nine plays and we do them in rotating repertory. So we start with five plays, three outdoor, two indoor, and we rehearse and mount them all within the course of uh, a couple of months. So everything is, those first five plays are all up by the end of June. And then we go back into rehearsal for two more outdoor plays and one more indoor play. We add those to the repertory. Um, and then that plays through the end of October, the end of the outdoor season. And then by that time we've added in a ninth play um, that goes into the fall. Um, so I generally work on three or four plays in the course of the season, depending on if I do the fall show or not. So I do one in the first rep, one in the second rep, and then sometimes I do the uh, I do one in the, in the fall. And occasionally I'll sub it in if we lose some of from the stage management team. I'll sub in on another show uh, as we go into the into the fall. So I usually start at the end of April as our prep, and we go through. If I'm doing the fall show, we go through about Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. And then, so if you're rehearsing five shows simultaneously. Yes. And then, so you rehearse five shows simultaneously. I'm sure there's a lot of sharing yes. involved. Yes. <laughs> and then you mount those five. And then while you're running five shows, you rehearse three more. That's right. And then eventually you're running eight shows simultaneously. Correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. I've just got really excited about the Tetris puzzle. I'm sure, totally. I'm sure your technical designer really loves it. <laughs> Starting way in advance is how we make that happen, like from a, from a technical point of view. So we normally have a design conference right about this time of the year uh, where basically designs are done and the, the, the shops go away and they start working on the shows like now in order to get them up in June. Because there's just like there's so much pre-planning that has to happen in order to make that all happen. And how does the changeover work from mm -hmm. or are you just like, here's a set, everyone use this set. Good luck. No, actually, um, so we went through rebuild a couple of years ago and our technical uh, uh, capability is much improved from that because we built a big, so we used to have to break down every set into a space about the size of an average garage. Um, and it had to go through like a regular size garage door. So everything had to break down into little bitty pieces. Uh, and uh, we, a couple of years ago, we went through a big rebuild that, uh, of the front of stage, but also mostly of the back of stage. So we now have a big building that we call the clubhouse where rolling pieces can get rolled into and rolled out of. So um, we have uh, about five or six people on the changeover crew. And we, we like to say that we can change over in an hour um, start to finish. So uh, we, we take one show down, you know, we do a two o'clock performance of one show, we take that down, we get it off stage, we put the next one up and we do an eight o'clock show of a different show that night. And then, so once we're, once we're in the full, full wrap, uh, there is the possibility that you could come for a long weekend and see all eight of the shows if you planned correctly. So, right. And then added to that is this is an outdoor theater. That's right. And which means if you're starting in June and going through October, that means you have to plan for basically all four seasons. All four seasons. Wisconsin. Absolutely. 100%. So I have put people in ice packs and in, you know, hand warmers, definitely like within a week of each other, you know, because you just never know what's going to happen. I don't think we've ever done, I've never actually done a show in snow. 
but it has flurried for sure, definitely during rehearsal and at the end of the season. So yeah, there's just things that you, uh, my brain automatically sort of clicks over and thinks about now, but like, you know, we did a production of Othello a couple of years ago where we had a moat around the, uh, around the set and my Desdemona had to put her feet into the moat. Uh, for that one scene and uh, doing that when it's 50 degrees out is unpleasant. So <laughs> I'm like, Laura, we're gonna get you everything you need. So we have space heaters backstage. We have, you know, uh, we go through copious amounts of bug spray and sunscreen, as you can imagine, because we still do matinees as well. Um, and uh, we have a big um, sunshade that goes over the stage called the parachute. Uh, it's actually part of an army surplus parachute that they use to like drop jeeps out of planes. Um, uh, so part of that just goes over the over the whole stage area when we do matinees or when we do outdoor rehearsals during the day to try and keep some of the heat down. You know, we do Gatorade, we do popsicles, we do misters backstage, we do all sorts of things to try and help uh, people combat the heat and the cold when the cold comes as well. Right. And from the outdoor theater I've done, which to be perfectly honest, is only like three shows. Mm -hmm. One of them, they literally built the stage in a park. So backstage was outdoors as well. Like there mm -hmm. was no protection from the elements. Mm -hmm. it, do you, is at least your stage and your backstage kind of protected from the elements? Or are you like, nope, there's a tree. Yeah, the stage is definitely not protected uh, in any way. So if it rains, we're in the rain, you know, and we do plays in the rain and our audience is a hearty bunch. So uh, many times we don't make a decision to cancel or stop unless it's really raining so hard you can't hear the actors. Um, so and we judge that since I get to be one of the people that involved in the decision to stop or hold, uh, uh, you know, we, we base our decision on what the audience is doing. Um, so if the audience is sitting and listening and still responding and they we feel like they can hear the actors, we keep going. <laughs> um, and we don't have, a, you know, I'm doing an outdoor season here at the Oslo right now. We don't have the same kind of technology that the Oslo has out right now. We don't have electric drum kits. We don't have, you know, uh, other things that make it sort of impossible to do uh, any sort of rain. Um, so we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much, we put costumes to the ringer, we put props to the ringer, we put wings through the ringer. Um, uh, uh, we, we keep going. Um, we do have some covered space backstage, the, sh the sheds. Um, there's like two, basically our backstage right, backstage left are basically covered sheds. Um, and one of the backstage right rooms uh, now, it's a, it's a room that we put uh, props in to protect them from the elements uh, like swords and uh, anything with fabric, that sort of thing, um, that has air conditioning. So we actually have an air conditioned room backstage now, which is really, really helpful for those really hot days when you can send somebody into the, you can send your crew or your ASM into the, into the air conditioning for, for 10 minutes. It's really makes a big difference. So it's super helpful. Yeah. And, oh, what's your favorite animal story? <laughs> oh gosh, I have so many animal stories. My, uh, my favorite one is probably, uh, again, we were doing Othello and my, uh, uh, my ASM, Kim Patch, who was more like my sort of co-stage manager because it was such a big production. Um, uh, Kim uh, was taking the outdoor rehearsal that day and I was in the indoor rehearsal and I can't, I think she was with the she was with the fight choreographer and I was with the director inside, I think. And she said, she texted me this picture of like a six foot long snake in the audience. And I hate snakes. <laughs> and I was like, Kim, I am so sorry, but I am so happy it's you out there today and not me. <laughs> Ugh, I just got chill. I don't like yeah, snakes ooh, either. Ooh, they creep me out. Ooh, I don't totally. like them. Oh my God, there were a lot of snakes that year. Yeah. Ugh. It was wet. Uh, what about repertory? I mean, we've outdoor theater is its own challenge because yes. you're dealing with whatever Mother Nature throws at you. And then you've got repertory where you're doing eight shows. It's I mean, crazy. how does your brain put it all together and how do you remember what you're supposed to be doing? Sure. So, uh, you know, generally the actors, at least in the first rep, the first rep is the most challenging in terms of scheduling. 
Um, so uh, generally the company of actors, each person is in two of the five shows. Um, so we share, right? So there's a stage manager for each of the shows, an equity stage manager for each of the first five shows. And we all collaboratively work on a document throughout the day that becomes the schedule. Um, so you, at, if you have first priority, so you, have you can be at first, second or tertiary priority for your four hour block. And then in the four hour block in the evening, it flips, right? So another person has first, second or third priority. The show that doesn't have any first priority that day then has second priority both day and night. And then the show that is first priority in the afternoon gets third in the evening and vice versa. Um, and each of the shows is sort of, uh, each of the indoor shows is paired with an outdoor show. So they have the similar priority. Um, so the first priority people pick what they want to do. They pick their first choice of actors and their first choice of space. And they say, I would like to be on the stage and I'd like to call this scene for this amount of time with these people. Then the second priority gets to pick their people and their choice of space. Tertiary gets to pick their people, their choice of space. We also have full-time voice and text coaches that request sessions with the actors, as well as doing fittings. So around all of those things, we pencil in as much, we try and get as much done every day as we can with each individual person. So that sort of means you're sort of tracking one person's sort of call through the whole day for 40 different people um, every day. So uh, you know, if somebody has 15 minutes off, we usually just give them 15 minutes off. If they have 45 minutes off, they're going to go do somewhere and do something. <laughs> and then once you're in performances, I feel like as a stage manager, I'm always like, oh, thank goodness, I have this script that tells me what to do. But the cast, I mean, I know it's their job to memorize it, but I'm always in awe because I'm like, you don't get a cute little script that tells you what to do that you can look down. How do they keep eight shows in their bodies yeah it's interesting you know and i've asked them that before too because i'm like how do you like do, do you show up and you're like oh tonight's hamlet oh i thought we were doing x tonight um but you know they really do keep it, it, it because it's a different show i think it feels like a different thing every night you know so there's some shows where you know I, this is the glory of repertory right is that you probably have a show where you are not Hamlet, you know, if you are Hamlet in another show, you probably have a show where you're like Butler, you know, and so like you get to come in and be like, okay, today I have like three lines and like four scenes, you know, today I'm doing Hamlet. So <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, people keep it, uh, keep it because each of the shows is so distinct for them. I think it's not like they're coming in to do sort of the same thing, but it's a little different, you know, uh, uh, it's a different thing, um, but it's exhausting. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a very challenging schedule, especially if somebody's not used to working in the elements, especially if, you know, uh, there's, you know, people, actors and stage managers, I think have to be really, um, really conscious of their own care during the weeks when we're in rehearsal and performance, because it, it can really be a lot, you know, um, and I, you know, there's a lot of like, you, you got to drink water, you got to go to bed early, you got to get your exercise in, you got to eat right, you know, you got to spend your, your off day doing your meal prep and that sort of stuff. And I, I would say that everybody's, for the most part, everybody's really, really responsible about taking care of themselves uh, in the process because it's, uh, it can, it's, it can be exhausting. Oh, understudies. That's what understudies. I wanted to ask about. Yes, yes. <laughs> understudies. Yes. How does that work? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have them? It sounds like you never are out of rehearsal, as right. stage, many stage managers are familiar with, yes. because you put the first five shows up, then you put the next three shows up, and then you rehearse the understudies. Yes, yes. So we came to grips uh, a while ago with um, the... Uh, you know, we do understudy every role in the season. Um, every every under every role is assigned an understudy. We do not rehearse them unless we know for certain that it's going to happen. So uh, the actors are, you know, given the freedom to know that they could go on on book if we needed to, because it's more like an emergency sort of situation. Um, many times in the assignments, you know. Uh, 
to be in a Shakespeare, you know, a theater that does Shakespeare and does classic plays. Many times, you know, the person who played Amelia the last time will be assigned to understudy Amelia this time because like they already kind of have it, you know, back in their brain somewhere. Um, uh, uh, I would say that um, we always have somebody that has to go on. Many, many times that's a pre-planned out for a wedding, for a whatever, you know. Uh, uh, and sometimes it does happen that you have to put somebody on at the last minute and then you just sort of do the best you can, you know, um, and the actor does the best they can. I would say some, most of the actors take the understudy relatively seriously. And there are certainly, um, you know, younger members of the company who are assigned to study, understudied large roles that are performing in small roles. And for those guys, we, uh, we hope that they will have done their homework appropriately. Um, uh, 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 but yes, that it's mostly a case of, we'll figure it out when we get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to switch a little bit. Sure. Um, the question starts once you're back at work, but you're working. I have been, been working. working. I've been working so, this whole time. I feel is, sort of guilty about it, but yes. <laughs> but no, don't be guilty. Please keep contributing to the health plan. Right, right. You. Exactly, exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, but so how are you in your work uh, incorporating the We See You White American Theater demands and mm -hmm. hope and assuming APT is coming back this summer since it's outdoor and people are vaccinated? Yay. Um, how, has there been conversation about how to incorporate it? Mm -hmm. this summer? I would say that uh, APT as an organization has taken the demands extremely seriously. Um, they've had many, many, many meetings over the, um, over the course of the off season. Last year was our first year with a BIPOC artistic associate that was hired. Um, you know, it was supposed to start as a part-time job. And um, Jake Penner, who is that person, uh, came in and was so invalu instantly invaluable to the organization that his job uh, became full-time within weeks of him starting. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, we, I, I should say, uh, the equity stage managers for APT have continued to get together with what we call the breakfast meeting, um, which we normally do in season. We have done that the whole time we have all been on the great pause. Um, so we get together every week and we talk about many things, but many of the, uh, we've, we've discussed the demands sort of in depth amongst ourselves as a department uh, and what we can do as stage managers and, you know, again, it's, there's a push-pull, right? Because some of the demands that, and the ones that we as stage managers are sort of most in a position to, in, uh, to work with in the rehearsal room um, are about time and about the pressures of time and about the pressures of rehearsal time. Um, so I think it's, uh, that's something that is, is hard because we are given a certain number of hours to rehearse. And at APT, we definitely take advantage of those hours, right? I have rehearsed 270 hours before with a, with a two-person play before we've put it up, right? And that's, that's a little outside of the ordinary, but I would say doing a 29-person Shakespeare, you need 270 hours to rehearse. It's, it's hard, you know? Um, and there's a lot of language that we, you know, take, uh, that we have to wrap our brains and our tongues around uh, in the beginning. So the, the, the demands to go down to the five-day work week and the demands to eliminate the 10 out of 12, I think are coming from a place of people who are exhausted, from people who can't have, feel like they can't have a family life um, because of the schedule that theater um, puts them under. Um, and I think those are immensely valuable insights and contributions I'm not in a position to be able to say, well, let's just, you know, let's just stop. It's eight o'clock. Let's, you know, let's go home. Um, so I think that sort of time thing has to start at the top, right? It, 
I want equity to be to give us options in the next contract, in the next Lort contract. I want to have the let's do nine out of ten and a half five days a week, and then let's go home for two days. I want to have that option, like the six-hour day is an option in the in the contract, um, so that we can still get the hours in that a complex language-dependent play needs, but that we can still let people have a, uh, a, a life, a, a family life outside of the theater. 10 out of 12 is hard because, you know, for APT, we do, if for an outdoor show, we do three texts. That's an afternoon of mostly putting in sound cues, 12 to five. If you have 200 sound cues, you're, you kind of got to cook with gas even to get through that. You know, and then at night we give people an hour to get into costumes and wigs for the first time. So we usually call them at seven, they get into costumes and wigs. At eight o'clock we start a run and we run the play with costume changes, with lights, with the whole thing for the first time because there's sort of no other way to do it. You know, you just have to sort of go and see what breaks down and then fix it. <laughs> um, and our lighting designer writes the whole show blind so like, there's never like a time where we stop for lights and we're like, oh, can you move this, this, this? He like does it all around that. Um, <clears throat> and then we, you know, for a three hour play, we run it eight to 11, we have an hour to do notes. And that happens three times. And one of them might get rained out. Like I, eliminating the 10 out of 12, I feel like it would be really hard for us, like on the current schedule. That's not to say that we shouldn't. That's not to say that we can't reimagine a way to do it in a different way. Um, but that sort of thing, I think, has to come from the, the top of the organization. But I know that those conversations are happening. I know that they're ongoing. I know that we don't feel like we've solved that yet, but we're going to continue to work on it. Um, as far as my own personal uh, connection to them is concerned, I'm, I'm really trying to actively sort of look for BIPOC stage managers, early career stage managers, that we can bring to APT and we can help mentor them and train them while they're still like earning a living wage, while they're still being housed, you know, um, so that they can, they can further their career at a point before they need, need to join the union. Um, because what we do is we have equity stage managers, we have a, an, an equity ASM who's sort of our float, and then we have five non-equity production assistants who really function as like the deck stage manager. Um, so they get to learn a ton or get to practice a ton. And we really rely on them to be the ASMs of the shows. Um, and we do that while giving them, you know, a, enough money to live off of and housing. Um, so I hope that we're doing what we can to help provide a place for BIPOC stage managers to come and to learn and to practice and to grow while still making enough money to live off of. So if you're out there and you're an early career BIPOC stage manager, I wanna to talk to you. <laughs> uh, with that, is there a website that they should go to to look for those opportunities or is absolutely it at americanplayers.org um you know we list all of the production positions with salaries um that are available for the upcoming season um and uh you know i encourage them to email my boss evelyn at americanplayers.org um to uh to give them their, their resume if they're interested or just want to get some more information about the about the organization yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for yeah. making that accessible. I really appreciate that. Uh, with We only have a few minutes left, but uh, what are you a nerd about? And you got to talk about cooking because very few stage managers are like, oh, you know, I've been a professional chef. Let no, me just... Know run a cafe for five years. Uh, that's awesome. Yes, I'm totally a cooking nerd. I'm, I'm actually, it's not so much that I'm a cooking nerd as I'm an eating nerd. I love to eat. So, uh, you know, growing up outside of the Washington DC area, uh, you know, you have an amazing uh, range of restaurants that you can go to. And my mom and my stepdad actually made it a, uh, a, a, a goal of theirs to go to a different ethnicity restaurant on my mom's birthday every year 
and you know eventually you start running out so you're like okay that albanian place let's go there you know that sort of thing question i do i have a very stereotypical maryland question yes do you need to import your old bay to wisconsin or can you get that at the grocery store they actually sell it at at good grocery stores in wisconsin so (laughs) yes i have my old bay uh at home sitting in in a proud place on my spice shelf (laughs) just checking um so yeah i mean i read cookbooks for fun like that's weird right that's nerdy (laughs) uh you know i i love to like if I'm like oh I think I want to make x tonight I love reading like four or five different recipes and being like "Mm, I think I'm gonna take this part from this one and this part from this one this part from this one because that seems like the best way to do it uh I I love to bake as well um uh I'm I'm kind of nerdy about um uh I got to do I'm currently ASMing the production of Camelot down here at the Oslo Rep and uh I was a huge mythology nerd when I was a kid. So I've read like all the King Arthur stuff and I like wore out my VHS tape of Camelot when I was a kid. And so I'm like super excited to like, I finally get to do that play. That's so cool, you know? <laughs> um, uh, I'm I'm pretty nerdy about like, um, like I, I've done a lot of like work on this healthcare stuff for our other uh, core company members, for other equity members, like breaking all it all down, like how it works now, how to earn the weeks, when you can use split weeks, when you can use your, you know, what your look back means, all of that sort of stuff. Like I really like to do that sort of stuff and help other members sort of understand because just between you and me and the other listeners on this podcast, I don't think Equity League has done a really great job of communicating the changes. Um, So I've been trying to come up with a document that does help with that for other people that need it. So, Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a lot of us, I think, going into the Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, you know, uh, I'm fortunate in that, uh, you know, I I had my sort of own personal great pause right before the great pause. So I was diagnosed with um, stage four lymphoma at the end of the APT season in 2019. Um, and so I had to take, I had to decline the Oslo's offer for the 2019-20 season and uh, uh, focus on uh, my chemotherapy and my recovery from chemotherapy um, for about six months right before the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. So I literally flew back to APT to start my first work in six months, uh, uh, March 12th (laughs) of last year. So we got to the design conference. I was in the Detroit airport when they called me and they said, we're canceling design conference. And I was like, I'm in Detroit. I'm going to come anyway. <laughs> um, so I, uh, uh, I've, I was sort of in a pause where I couldn't, I was, you know, neutropenic, which means I had really low white blood cell counts. So I couldn't see people for a long time. Um, I had to wear a mask everywhere. It all sounds very familiar. Right. Um, and so, uh, it's been like, uh, uh, the companies that I worked for were very supportive in my recovery by uh, choosing to hire me in order for me to get my health insurance weeks. So both APT and Oslo have done, have sort of committed themselves to helping me continue to work through this, which has been uh, amazing. And um, since I'm in full complete remission, uh, you know, I've been, yeah, Yay. Uh, <laughs> I've been, uh, I've been fortunate enough to feel like I can work again. So yeah, even through, that's great. even through a stupid pandemic. <laughs> right. And I, I think it's reassuring to know that companies do have loyalty to their workers right Absolutely. now when everyone's out of work, it feels it definitely feels like there is a divide between employers and workers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, that's, again, the equity town hall will, is upcoming. Uh, and I'll be really interested to see what people say at that, because I do think that some people feel like the producers are out to get us right now, asking for concessions, all of that sort of thing, not um, thinking about, you know, we all have this desire that we can make theater a more equitable workspace. We can. We have the ability, we have the, um, uh, uh, we have the seats at the table 
to fill, to do that. Um, but it's gonna take everyone working together as opposed to being at cross purposes. And I feel like right now there's some division between members and the union and producers that has the potential to sort of tear apart the work that we've done that I feel like people have done during the pandemic and I don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What brings you joy? <laughs> um, you know, uh, I have a great cat. <laughs> I have a does great the, partner. Does the cat travel <laughs> with you? Does the partner The cat travel does travel. Yes, yes, they are both here. Uh, he, uh, Oscar and Adam are both here with me. Wait, Oscar's which one cat. is the cat? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the <Oscars> the cat. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so um, uh, that's pretty great. I, uh, you know, I was surprised, I guess I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised by my own personal cancer pause and then the pandemic pause. And like the first day I went back to work, even though it was on Zoom in April of last year, I was like, I was overjoyed at how much I had missed my people and how much I had missed the work. And I, I was just, I really love what we do. I really love telling stories for other people. Uh, and I, it brings me a lot of joy. Uh, being able to like do this um, work down here at the Oslo where we're having, we have people singing on stage, singing, um, you know, uh, doing, opening a musical with six people in it and a six person band. Like, it just feels like we're making steps towards coming back and all of that is bringing me a lot of joy right now, so. Oh, that's so lovely. I'm gonna end <laughs> on that very uplifting note and that love letter to our industry. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Company, this is your Places Call. Places, please, for the top of the show. Places, please, for the top of the show. This is Places. Thank you. This was the fifth episode of Waiting for Places, a podcast highlighting stage managers living and working in the central region of the United States. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. It will help other stage managers find it. Also, make sure to click subscribe so you can get new episodes every Friday through July 9th. This podcast was presented by Ethical Rioting Productions. I am your host, Katrina Herman. This week on Waiting for Places, you heard from Jacqueline Singleton. The stage manager calling places was Mary Hungerford. This episode was edited by Katrina Herman with graphic design by Nicholas B. Paluha. A huge thank you to Morgan Zupanski, Chris Laporte, and the rest of the Waiting for Places think tank. Fredo Aguilar, Caitlin Boddy, Mary Hungerford, and Jacqueline Saldana. Stand by for the next episode. All right, we have the house and we have places. Is there any reason not to begin tonight's performance? Thank you so much, everyone. Good, fast, safe show.